My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. I'm joined today by Thomas McCabe, who is a mind reader. Now, I'm going to let Thomas explain what that is, but just to give you a little bit of context, I had the great fortune of meeting Thomas at his Edinburgh Fringe show, and ironically, met his mum before I ever met Thomas. Now, your wonderful mum, who's clearly a saint, was outside in the pouring, pouring rain, kind of drumming up support and handing out flyers. And she'd actually caught me earlier in the day. And I was like, this looks amazing. I've never seen a mind reader. I, you know, what, what a great kind of hook to go and see a show. I was sort of approaching the show's venue and she was there in like a poncho and like a hat and all these sort of waterproofs. And I just stood with her, like holding my umbrella over her, like chatting and then obviously realized that she's your mum but anyway enough about like that Thomas welcome to the show how are you I am brilliant thank you for having me how are you I'm really good like what is a mind reader what is a mind reader well you've seen the show but essentially I never pretend that I can actually read people's minds that would be a load of nonsense but essentially what a mind reader is is someone who combines normal magic with a lot of psychology And by blending them together, you get this interesting show where it looks like essentially you're reading people's minds, but a lot of it's to do with human predictability and how we all think about things generally the same. It's to do with influencing people's choices, kind of just like a salesman does or anyone really who works in that sort of industry, but doing it in a very particular set of circumstances, reading body language and things like that. So you put all those together and you get a sort of unique blend of magic, so to speak. Do you know what's really interesting is when you say things like, not just you but anyone, reading body language, I can almost feel something, I sort of tightened up a little bit and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of fully expecting you to kind of read me. How did you, how did you not only get into it, but how did you start to hone those skills? That's a good question. I think when everyone's younger, they take a bit of an interest in magic anyway. I think everyone kind of has a magic set, so to speak. And a bit like, learning the recorder, which we had to do in school as well. 99% of people throw it away as soon as they're able to. There's that sort of 1% that don't. And then on top of that, I had a real interest in psychology and I studied psychology for a few months uh, at university. And so it was just kind of over time, I developed a way to kind of bring these things together and realized that I could make a sort of really unique performance out of them. And it's funny, so to speak, that we're talking about mums and how they influence us. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto things like that. But my parents are very much do what makes you happy, not sort of worried too much about the money and so to speak at an early stage. So I think I was really able to hone those skills and with their support, as you said, like my mum was stood in the rain. <laughs> I had my dad up there as well. They're both a little bit famous during the fringe for being <laughs> probably the two best flyers in the whole festival. So things like that definitely make a huge difference, I think. Amazing. And your mum, you've actually sort of 
become famous, if not famous, then certainly very well known for your skill, this show, but not just at Edinburgh, at a kind of national level as well with with X Factor and, and stuff like that. Your mum must have been incredibly proud, as you say, from having, you know, facilitated you to do some of these things to then see you actually start to have an impact and kind of capture people's imagination. I think you're definitely right. And I think the thing that's that makes it really fun is that I don't come from a performing family. So my parents are very much not in anything to do with performing and neither are my brothers or sister. We all do very, very, very different things. So I think it's not like having parents who kind of push you down this route and kind of know what it entails. So every new thing that I was kind of discovering, they were also discovering. So I think they were kind of excited about it on the same level that I was. And even things like Britain's Got Talent, when I did that, and we were kind of learning how Britain's Got Talent's actually made and things like that, they were kind of as excited as I was to discover the secrets of the production. And and my dad, I mean, I know we're talking about my mom, my dad in particular, you know, loves the Edinburgh work, loves the marketing. That's sort of what he does. So he's kind of interested on it in that level as well, kind of helping me to sell the show as best I can. My mom... She just kind of just loves the journey, I think. I like to start off our conversation about mums by just doing a little game. I'm not going to try and mind read, but I'm going to base what you tell me. I'm going to base my answer on what you tell me. So paint us a visual and mental picture of your mum, but don't tell us her name. Now, I should say I don't know her name, or if she ever told me, I don't remember it. But yeah, I will try and guess, and you can tell me if I'm horrendously wrong. Okay, if you get it right, you'll be better than me. Can I come on your show? (laughs) (laughs) So she's, I think, I believe she's 66. I should know that more confidently. I believe she's 66. But for a woman, she's always been slightly on the taller side. She's taller than my dad. And so she's sort of blonde, but obviously... (laughs) that'll slowly go away fair enough maybe it has gone away but do you know what she likes to kind of dress glamorous and and look kind of glamorous whenever she can i think she looks excellent anyway for 66 and as i said she does like to look nice she wears things like nice clothes and nice earrings and that sort of thing and then she has an english accent because she's she's english and my dad was northern irish I do you know that that is the one thing I remember about your mom apart from her being in a poncho was that she was English and your accent is this wonderful I was going to say mid-Atlantic but there's there's not really the Atlantic between Ireland and Britain it's more sort of mid-Irish sea but anyway I'm going to guess Samantha no 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 (laughs) go on put me out my misery go on Pauline Pauline, oh, well, okay. So, Paul, Pauline, I, fine. I should have worked that out. Well, I think we've just proven that I'm definitely not a mind reader and, and don't have those skills, but hopefully the rest of the conversation goes all right. What about her background? Yeah, I think I can talk about it a little bit. Her mum died relatively young, where when my mum was relatively young, I believe it was just soon after she met my dad, very early 20s. And For a long time, she and her father didn't get along either. I mean, that's actually an interesting question. Her relationship with her parents could not be more opposite to her relationship with me. And perhaps there's something to that, because you do hear about people who want to be like their parents, and then you do hear about people 
who are motivated by their parents to be the complete opposite. I mean, there's not too much detail I think I can go into there. And as I said, her mum did die quite young. And so, I mean, I never had a granny on either side. So the truth is, I don't know exactly how these things maybe shaped her or motivated her. I assume as well, she took a certain amount of responsibility for her younger siblings. She was the oldest of three and I'm the youngest of four. So again, we... <laughs> wow. she probably took a lot of responsibility, whereas I kind of got away with everything growing up. So yeah, very, very different. It sort of seems like there's almost like a bit of, I don't know how to describe it. It's not a yo-yo. It's not like a sort of pendulum effect. But, you know, she had one experience. Well, let's talk in general terms. I think parents can have one experience growing up and want to sort of give their children the opposite experience. But also that, you know, the way you parent a child and I guess the way Pauline parented your siblings changed perhaps, you know, with successive wrongs of brothers and sisters at your generation, right? Do you think you're older siblings got it a little bit easier sorry a little bit harder than you than me yeah oh there's no thing about it <laughs> i absolutely 100 percent know they did i don't think my parents have ever been the strictest but there were certainly aspects growing up i mean they were on top of and they were slightly stricter than other people's parents but definitely as the children came that lightened up a bit you know simple things like how long per day we were allowed to watch TV or play the PlayStation, whether we could eat dinner in the kitchen. I mean, by the time I was a teenager, I was having every meal in front of the TV, which was just not done. I think I got a bit more, I think I got a bit more freedom, but I think that's kind of typical of all parents because they panic a bit, don't they, with the first child and they want them to be safe and they want to watch over them. And then they kind of realize with time, oh, it's going to be okay. And then the second one's okay. Oh, the third's definitely going to be okay. And then by me, I think it was just like, go do what you Yeah. Do. <laughs> if you had a younger brother they would have, or sister, they would have sent them straight to the circus. Be like, they'll be fine. It's all right. I know, exactly. What about other stuff with your mum? So she, we've sort of understood a little bit about her childhood. We understand now she is this sort of loving, doting, very committed kind of parent. What about that journey? Sort of what she done kind of work-wise? She's had a number of quite important roles. So during the Northern Ireland peace process, which obviously followed the Troubles, she was on the policing board. And then she actually became the prisoner ombudsman for Northern Ireland. So she investigated deaths in custody. And she was very, very successful at that and received an OBE on the Royal Honours List from Prince William. And then following that, what she does now is a lot of international consultancy work with other countries where they're either setting up ombudsman's offices or investigating deaths in custody and how to run that and train people in that. So, I mean, she does heavy heavy work. So work-wise, I mean, she's done heavy roles. But as I say, if you met her... She's almost like she's one of the smartest people in the world. And then at the same time, sometimes her common sense just leaves her body. And when we're all playing games and just having family time, you would never, ever, ever imagine that she could be entrusted with such responsibility, to be honest. (laughs) What a prestigious and important career. I always ask my guests, you know, do you think your parents are proud of you? But are you proud of her? It sounds like you really are. I'm really proud of her. I mean, a lot of these things, it's interesting, a lot of the things she's done, I would, she was doing them when I was too young to fully understand what they were. 
And as more and more things come into our lives now, and I ask her questions about certain things or certainly have done the past few years, it's actually when she calls back to these jobs and explains to me, you know, things like deaths in custody, you know, there's a whole lot of issues there that you could get into, issues like depression and suicide and why people do it. And inter-prison violence was another, is another thing she's an expert on. And all these things as a teenager or young child, you would never, ever, shouldn't ever even be thinking about. So now I think I'm more prouder and more interested in the work she was doing before. But now as I'm actually thinking about it more and exposed to it more, particularly now I study law as well. I've got a really, really big interest in law. So that and the work she does coincide a lot more. And so I think we have a lot more to talk about now that's directly related. But I'm super proud of her, particularly her work at the Fringe. I think that's where she's really (laughs) peaked in her career. I was going to say, and such humility to, you know, go from these incredibly important prestigious roles to you know standing in the rain flowering not that that isn't important it's very important but I wouldn't say it has the same level of prestige I think we'd both oh, agree no, I, could, I, mean, I could absolutely not really afford her for three hours of flowering in the real world so. <laughs> what are your sort of fondest memories of her as a kid like you've talked a little bit about some of the, you know, some of her jobs, et cetera, but I guess those are reflections as an adult, but as a, as a kid growing up, like what would she do to, or, you know, what memories did you have of her? I don't know, making you laugh, smile, funny stories, that sort of stuff. In a nice way, nothing too extravagant. One memory I do have, and it's, it was a tradition in Ireland that we had, which was very, very simple, which was every boxing day after Christmas, we would literally both get into my parents bed and we would just watch movies like all day and we did that boxing day year after year after year and that was always really really good and that's something so simple that I look back on now that at the time didn't really feel I mean it was nice but it didn't feel too special or out of the ordinary or extravagant but looking back that's a really sweet memory was there a go-to movie or kind of like one that you just watch on repeat I think maybe Love actually was on there. Yeah, but, it's, a, it's a family favourite. I mean, yeah, well, it's a mum favourite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, actually, that very neatly segues into the, the question that I asked all of my guests. Who would play your mum in a biopic of her life? Well, that's interesting, because when I think about this, I think it seems maybe an obvious choice because I said she likes ABBA, but I think Meryl Streep would play her well. Mm. I think Meryl Streep does that nice thing. I mean, if my mom should be so lucky, but Meryl Streep does that nice thing where she can go from loving to, you know, a little emotional or panicked. And also she's got a great energy about her, which my mom does. And actually in Mamma Mia, Meryl Streep's probably a little bit more panicky than my mom ever would be. I think the nice moments in Mamma Mia kind of reflect a similar mental state, perhaps, but they're not too far different. Maybe a lot. On a a spectrum of Mamma Mia Meryl Streep to Devil Wears Prada Meryl Streep, where is Pauline? Is she sort of, you know, she obviously sounds like she's more Meryl Streep side, but give me some numbers. I want to hear percentage. 
I've not seen Devil Wears Prada. What You've never seen thing? Devil Wears Prada. Oh, my Lord, Thomas. Well, first of all, I'm going to demand that if you are spending Christmas and Boxing Day with your parents, that is the movie that you'll watch in bed together on Boxing Day. But I think the precy of it is Meryl Streep effectively plays an Anna Winter, Starker Anna Winter is obviously the famous British editor of International Vogue apparently quite cruel very sort of like shady and kind of biting wit but Meryl Streep plays her and you know ice queen kind of character but really funny because of it and I was the, the reason I sort of put those two things on the spectrum is it's really interesting sort of hearing about your mum's roles particularly with the sort of the prison board and you know all of the stuff that she's done professionally because you imagine you have to have a humility and, and a humanity to do those things but also really tough skin as well have you ever seen that side of her if there is even that side of her yes i mean as i say when it comes to work she's really no nonsense really no nonsense and she will tell people what she thinks and she'll tell us in private even more what she thinks of the people who she's told what she thinks but no as i said when it comes to doing things right and serious business she's really on it and this is why i say if you met her in her mama mia meryl street kind of mode you would never expect the maybe closer to this devil wears prada type of mode and perhaps vice versa but when there's something to be done and when she's dealing with professional people she really is no nonsense and i think she she does work with or has worked with people who not scared of her but you know if maybe previously they could get away with things they very quickly realize they suddenly can't <laughs> and even with me there's definitely times when i've you know, not being excellent. And she'll show a side of that. And she's not afraid to tell me what I've done wrong or where she thinks I've gone wrong or what she thinks I need to do in a particular situation. Or, you know, if I'm being lazy about something, she'll say, you know, get off your ass and do it then. So, she, <laughs> you know, it's tough love, I guess, but she's certainly not, she certainly has both sides. And the sort of stricter side is definitely motivated by the loving side. So, but yeah, no, to answer your question, she's got a good spectrum in her. I love that. I want to share with you, it's not a funny or a sad story. It, it's sort of neither, but sorry about my mom. So my mom's Teresa, obviously, you know, I talk about her quite a bit on this podcast, as well as, you know, getting to know other people's moms and, and their stories. I you're talking about sort of, you know, the slightly more serious side or the professional side. My mom never worked when we were kids for lots of different reasons. So I'd never really seen her kind of in a professional context. She never really had that professional context, but she was very much like, you know, social, lively, almost extroverted and serious and, and kind of maybe occasionally sort of austere. But I remember one time, I can obviously look back and laugh on this, at primary school, my, I think I was, I'm two and a half years older than my sister. So I was a couple of years older than my sister. And my sister had joined the primary school. And for some reason, I did not want to be known as her brother. And so like various kids would sort of ask me if I was Emma, is my sister's name, my sister's brother. I'd be like, no, no, no. And then I think I said, my mom came to collect us from school and I said it in front of a kid with an earshot of my mom. And my mom was so disgraced and disgusted by this that she grounded me for two weeks and it wasn't just a normal grounding the punishment was that i had there was a really steep hill on the way back home from school and i had to carry my sister from the foot of this hill to the top of this hill 
every day on the way back home for two weeks. And me and my sister look back at it now and we're like, that is a bizarre punishment. But here's the thing, right? It certainly made us closer. I mean, I, d- I definitely sort of, you know, mentally, albeit through trauma, associated my sort of sister as someone that, you know, I kind of had to metaphorically, if not physically, carry through life. So there's always that side, isn't there, of parents that you don't always get to see. They maybe not, you know, impart it on you, but you know it's there. You know there's that sort of very serious, very kind of stern part, right? Yeah. Do you know what? That is so interesting. I Before you even said it, I thought metaphorically that's quite good carrying you know your it must have been younger sister up yes yeah up this hill as maybe you should go on to do later in life yeah my parents never grounded me they didn't use grounding as a punishment which looking back is kind of interesting to think about why that was it's actually interesting because i've never thought of this because grounding as a punishment is kind of saying to a child you know you waited out and once you've waited out your punishment you can go It's almost like a child's prison sentence. Whereas what I think, now that I think about it, what was good about what my parents did was they didn't just encourage me to make a mistake and then get over it myself. It was more, you have to make the mistake better. You have to rectify it. And once you rectify it and fix what you've done, then you can move on. And actually now it makes a lot of sense. And I've never thought about that. So It's consequences, yeah. I have a question. Given what we just heard about how your mum, it's not quite sort of doles out justice, but let's just call it that, sort of, you know, inculcates justice. Have you ever had to deal with any sort of tricky punters or hecklers? And what do you think she would do? Because there's obviously that kind of professional instinct that kicks in, but she's also a proud mum. How would she deal with like someone who is a bit rude at one of your shows? Firstly, yes, I have dealt with... <laughs> oh. Often the thing about my show and what I do is because I'm, it's not like a play where you're sticking to a script. I can really banter with the audience and I do. And very often I'll get hecklers, but I've become very, very good at putting hecklers down in a way that's likable. And I think that's really important. You kind of got to respond to the heckler in a way that says you're not too serious, but at the same time they need to be quiet. And, and that's something I've sort of mastered. And so thankfully my parents wouldn't really need to get I think it definitely annoys them, but I think it annoys them probably in the same way it annoys anyone sitting around an annoying audience member. I mean, worst case scenario, after a couple of times, you can you can have someone removed from anywhere. But what's actually worse than a heckler, because very often hecklers are my friend, they will create <laughs> comedy that I haven't yes. even written. Yeah. And by putting them down, they've just given me a free laugh from this audience. So yeah. hecklers are usually my friends who aren't my friends are people who are just either too drunk so they're talking too loud to each other or people who are who've decided to bring like a grocery bag full of food like (laughs) and just just rattle them away you see and with those things you can't really say you can't put them down in a funny way you have to just kind of go guys stop it and yeah and then they don't stop it, particularly if they're drunk. Then they kind of have a bit of an agenda against you. So they're trying to disrupt it. And, you know, some people are just people, you know, they'll, oh, they just oh. like to ruin things. But thankfully, I don't have too much problems with hecklers. My show is quite, it's quite funny and drunk person proof yes. because they enjoy yes. it. It's not like they're being yeah. made to yeah, sit through something they don't want to sit through. But generally, my parents don't need to... After the show, they'll come up to me and, you know, 
what an idiot or whatever, but they don't feel the need to get to a box. My mom does hate watching my shows a lot of the time. Oh, oh, how come? She's so nervous because so much of what I do can go wrong. It absolutely kills her to watch bits that she knows aren't perfect. And a lot of the show isn't perfect and can go wrong. And sometimes I have backups and sometimes I don't. But she, a lot of the time, just hates watching these parts of the show where things can go wrong because she has seen me literally die on stage. It does happen. I do get things wrong and I just go, well, that's that. Let's move on. So, Oh, God. You, well, I don't think that happened at the show that I saw, but if it did, and and I kind of get this impression that if it did in future, you certainly had a beautiful way of sort of making it all seem like it was intentional (laughs) and then sort of stitching it all together, right? I mean, as I say, with some things, they're risky. And if they don't work, I've got a backup. I do have occasions where it just goes wrong and there's nothing I can do except say, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. There's the sorry. There's the sorry again. This is Pauline's influence coming out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you know what? I don't really mind anymore because what I've learned is if you move on quickly enough and get into the next thing, the audience actually forget very, very quickly something's happened. What do you, (laughs) I've got to ask, what is the worst thing that someone can eat as an audience member? Thing with yeah. a wrapper, okay? It's not, it's, yeah. it's more like you can't reach into a bag of crisps without making huge noise every single time. <laughs> so I'd say things like crisps and anything in a bag or a grocery bag or anything. It doesn't happen too often, but when it does happen, it's just it's just like how are you so socially unaware of how annoying you are? <laughs> in the nicest way, it's so obvious. But yes, anything that crinkles or rattles or whatever. Yeah, that is. Oh, God, I just I'm just trying to picture. It's really interesting hearing you sort of talk about how your mom sort of itches and and is a bit anxious if she watches the show. She certainly doesn't enjoy it because not that anything is necessarily going to go wrong. But the fear, the kind of secondhand anxiety that it would and the fact that you're on stage, her son, and she's so proud of you. It must kind of really eat any parent up that it hadn't really sort of occurred to me that that is the case because you often think about how oh my god every parent will see every show and be in the audience be your sort of greatest cheerleader and maybe that's true but there's also the other side of it as well how much of pauline is in you as her son if that makes sense you talked a little bit about she's incredibly professionally good let's just say which clearly you are as well and what you do and also very doting and very committed and and sort of loyal but what else of her is in you and has that been a recent realization or is it something you sort of always kind of known you know ever since you were young I mean well definitely the two things you touched on when I'm working I'm working and you know I take a lot of initiative and I make things happen I don't trust anyone with a task that I can do myself because I kind of feel like if I don't do it, it either won't get done right or it won't get done at all. And she feels like that as well. We're very similar in that way in that when something needs done, we really will just do it and we'll do it properly, especially with work and fringe and things. Even I have quite a lot of friends who will come up to the fringe, for example, and help me in return for 
you know, I'll pay their accommodation and all their costs and sometimes, you know, a salary on top of it. But, you know, when it comes to work, even my friends know, like I'm in work mode and it has to be done right. And there's no nonsense. And I don't like silly questions. If the answer to a question can be found naturally through a minute of thought, you know, don't ask me the question because have i asked any silly questions you're making me feel nervous now have i asked any silly questions thomas no you haven't but this is my point but there's other things as well she's very objective whenever yeah she always sees things from both points of view that's been important for her career and i think you know studying law and things that's been a really good skill that i've gone into it with a lot of the time when people come to me and they say you know so and so has done this to me can you believe it i'll say you know, look at it from their point of view and let's see why did they do this? What did you do that led to them doing this? I think that comes from my mom being very understanding of people. And as I said to you, I don't expect very much from people. And I don't mean that in sort of a sad way that I've always been let down and fended for myself. It's not that at all, but I don't expect much from people. And so I'm kind of very understanding, I think. I'm very objective as to when people let me down, why they've done that and things like that. So I think I get that from her. Do you apply the same prism onto yourself? So it's interesting to hear you talk about one of the the key things that you get from your mom is this understanding and understanding sort of both sides. You can obviously do it sort of externally if, you know, there are people objectively who you're trying to sort of mediate between or you're trying to mediate between someone who's done you wrong. But do you notice you doing it the other way if you have made an error or you've done someone wrong? Are you kind of like that objective about it? I would say generally, yes. I think I'm pretty good when it comes to realizing that I've made a mistake, admitting it and then fixing it. Generally, I'm good. I think I'm also good at listening to people tell me that I've done something wrong and kind of acknowledging it. Not always. And if you ask my mom, (laughs) she will tell you that I think I'm always right. And if it's not my way, it's wrong. (laughs) So because I know if she watches, when she watches this, I know she's going to laugh when she hears me say that I can take other people's opinions and change. But yes, she'll say it's my way or the highway. But no, I think I'm quite good at self-reflection. Maybe not in the moment. I think I'm good at self-reflection when when a little bit of time is gone. But I think people should only really be self-reflecting, you know, at least an hour after they've done something out of anger or frustration or even happiness. Yeah, dwell, sorry, reflect, don't dwell. I want to sort of finish by kind of anchoring our conversation back to what you're doing at the moment. One of the things you're doing at the moment, which is your performance, your art, your mind reading when you were maybe not when you were growing up as a kid but you know as a teenager as a young adult did your parents ever sort of try and second guess you because they knew you had this skill so were there ever moments where your mom or your dad were like hold on a second I know what you're doing I can see you're trying to work this out you know you're looking for this you're looking for that were there ever any of those moments It's hard to say. I think a lot of those skills like influence and persuasion, you can be good at them anyway and kind of use them regardless if you do what I do. And I always say to people, you've got to remember that what I do is a show. I don't walk around every day, you know, trying to analyze people. People always say to me, yo, when we're having conversations, are you trying to read me? 
And it's not that <laughs> at all. It's a show. It's in very yeah. particular set of circumstances that only works there and then. So I don't think too much like that. I think my parents know me far too well for me to get away with anything. And also the downside of being the third boy of three is that they've heard it all before. Right. They've heard, they've heard each lie. They've heard each, you know, you stumble home and you say, oh, I'm not drunk. Like they've heard that before <laughs> when you're 17 or 16 or. Yeah. So I think it's not easy to get one past my mom and it's not easy to get one past my dad. But thankfully, I've never had to too much because, you know, I can confide in them more than have to hide. I think I tell my parents and talk to my parents about things a lot more than the average person because my friends are always taken aback when they listen into our conversations because, you know, they come out for a drink after a show or whatever. They'll just be like, I cannot believe you talk to your mom about these things and say these things. And she says these things. And it, because some of my parents are a lot funnier than some of my friends. So <laughs> some of my parents, both of my parents are a lot funnier both than of them. some yeah. of my friends. So, yeah. That is what we all dream of, isn't it? Just having parents your best mates with. That's so cool. What do you, like, what are the sort of the best mate things that you'll do with your mom? You've talked a little about how open you are and you'll spend a lot of time together. But is there, I don't know, what do best mates really do together? Is there sort of like the lads banter down the pub equivalent with Pauline, for example? Yeah, I mean, the equivalent is like if we're having a family game night or even when I'm just, you know, when we're having a banterous kind of argument or whatever. I mean, one of my mum's pet names for me is Dickhead. So it's, <laughs> I mean... I quite often call her a knob, so I'll be like, what are you doing, you knob? And she'll be like, well, what do you think I'm doing, you dickhead? And, they, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, that sort of thing. Or when they will slag me off in front of my friends and things yeah. like that. So it just is kind of, maybe not laddie banter, but definitely good friend fun, yeah. I love that. I love the fact that she, I think that is the first time I've heard dickhead being used as a term of both endearment and deep love as well it's nice that your mum pauline has reclaimed that phrase reclaimed it. She did, yeah i think so as well and i do like that you know i do think it's i think it's a fun relationship you mentioned board games tell me Catan. no we only, oh we only play games that really you could almost get away with without the board so games like articulate with mm. a lot of speaking and strategy we don't really do the whole roll the dice and hope for luck thing like monopoly and stuff anymore it's very much team up have some drinks try and get each other to guess <laughs> a lot of swearing i mean it is just a good time yeah yeah and it, i bet it's after a certain number of drinks after a couple of drinks probably hard to distinguish between the terms of endearment that masquerade as swear words and the actual swear words meant as insults as well <laughs> oh exactly exactly and you don't have to think about it too long because the music comes on and she's dancing so she's out she's she is the dancing queen i love that yeah. thomas where can people find out more about you and find out more about some of your future shows so the best place is my website, which is T-O-M-A-S-M-C-C-A-B-E, tomasmccabe.com. If you type me into Google, you can watch me swap trousers with Stephen Mulhern on Britain's Got Talent. And, you know, all of the information and the socials and stuff are on there. Amazing. And swapping trousers with Stephen Mulhern is not a euphemism, just to clarify. 
Yeah, not a euphemism. <laughs> Definitely not a euphemism. Yeah, lovely guy, but no. <laughs> Brilliant. Thomas McCabe, thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you very much.